Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 3. We're going to have a look here in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria, and in the region of Trachonitis, and Leonidas, tetrarch of Abilene. Pray for me when I read through some of this. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. The writer of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, was doing more in these chapters than just setting the scene for Jesus' intro into ministry. He's telling us that when God was ready to bring the word of the Lord to the nation, when he was ready to introduce Jesus to the world, when he was ready to proclaim the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is here, he didn't go to the Caesar who sat in his palace in Rome. He didn't go to the governor, Pontius Pilate, who was over all the land of Judea, he didn't go to any of the tetrarchs, which a tetrarch is basically a, a, a small king. It's, it's the land is broken up into quarters, and they're the ruler over that quarter of the land. He didn't go to any of the four tetrarchs that were listed there, that were sitting on their thrones, ruling over the land. The Bible says that he bypasses all of that. The word of the Lord bypasses all of those men of power, and it lands on this man named John who is the son of a nominal priest who lives not in a palace, but in the wilderness. That he bypasses all of the men of power and lands on this young man named John who lives in the wilderness, who eats bugs and wears scratchy clothes. Don't you love the confidence of God? Of how confident our God is, right? When, when he needed a, a ruler or a, he needed a voice for the Israelites to bring them out of slavery, who does he go to? He finds Moses, a man who is afraid to speak publicly and has a stutter to go and stand before the Pharaoh and demand the release of his people. When he needs a king to take the place of Saul, he calls the house of Jesse, the prophet calls the house of Jesse, a home, a family of farmers and of shepherds. He calls the family of Jesse and he bypasses all of Jesse's sons and goes to the one who the father didn't even think was worthy enough to be invited to the meeting. Finds the young man who is herding sheep in the pasture, singing songs on his harp, playing with stones in a slingshot. And he goes, that's the guy that I want to be king. 
when he's ready to bring Jesus to the earth, when he's ready for God to be incarnated on the planet and to come to the earth and put on flesh, he chooses a humble teenage girl named Mary to be the one to birth the Messiah and then to raise him to adulthood. When Jesus steps into his ministry and he's looking for men to carry on his ministry after he's gone, he's looking for people to father and to to teach and to train on how to be disciples and how to spread the gospel to the world. Not only to teach and to train how to spread the gospel, but men that were going to write the account of his life, who were going to take a record of Jesus's ministry and life, and we're going to write it down that would eventually turn into the sacred scriptures that we hold now 2,000 years later, and we are still drawing revelation and wisdom, the word that is alive and active. When he was looking for men that were going to write those scriptures. He didn't pick writers. He didn't pick poets. He didn't pick the religious theological minds of the day. He picked fishermen. He picked tax collectors. Men who were uneducated in the world's eyes. Finally, when he was ready to raise from the dead, when he came out of the tomb, And he was going to announce to the world the best news that has ever happened in all of human history, that he is alive and that he is making all things new. When he's ready to proclaim that message, he doesn't go to the halls of power. He doesn't even go to the men that are his disciples. He goes to Mary, a woman, not just a woman, but a woman who had a history of being a demoniac who Jesus had to cast 12 demons out of, or seven demons, or a lot of them, a lot of demons. When Jesus, when the, when the Father is looking for men and women to use, when he's looking for men and women to proclaim his word and his message, what is the Bible teaching us? It's teaching us that he doesn't go to places of power and authority. He goes to hearts that are surrendered to him. He goes to people who are seeking after him, who are willing to hide in the wilderness and seek the face of God. These are the men and the women God uses to change the world. John, John the Baptist, he had no great influence The dude lived in the wilderness, like I said, wearing scratchy clothes and eating bugs. He was basically the modern day or the ancient version of Bear Grylls, right? Or Cam. He's the ancient version of of Cameron, eating bugs and living in the woods. John was somewhat of a weirdo, right? (laughs) That was on purpose, by the way. What's that? He was different. Absolutely. There was, a, there was a kid, this just came to my mind, there was a kid that called one of our kids weird one time. I was like, man, that's awesome. We're all weirdos, right? We're all a little weird. John was, was one of those, he, he, was, he was another level of weird in that day. He had no great influence. He lived in the wilderness. Yet when he opened his mouth, crowds gathered and listened. When he preached repentance, People made their way into the waters to be baptized. 
when he pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His own disciples so trusted him that they dropped everything they had and began following Jesus. Why would anyone care what this wild-eyed prophet in the wilderness had to say? Why would anyone care what John the Baptist, the little weirdo who hangs out in the wilderness, has to say? He has no influence, no place of power. They care because God takes men whose hearts are after him and he makes them powerful. There was something about John's voice, something about the way that he talked that made something come alive in other people. Have you ever met somebody like that before? You don't know what it is about them. They, they, they have no special influence or authority, but there's just something about when they speak, something moves on the inside of you. This was John. Nobody knew why this man, when this man spoke, something moved, but something changed on the inside of them when John spoke. He had no authority, no place of influence, no network of powerful men, but when he dipped people in the river, they came alive and something changed and they became new people. Why did John, who had no influence and no authority, have this kind of power? The Bible tells us that John was a man sent by God. He was a man sent by God and he needed no other, no other uh, qualification. He needed no other special authority. He needed no other, uh, no other thing from a man qualifying him to do what he did. He only needed to be this, a man sent from God. He didn't need accolades the world provides to be powerful. He just needed to be sent by God. I have a short message for you today. I expected a loud amen right there, but... This weekend is the 4th of July weekend. It's a weekend we celebrate the independence of our country and the freedom that we have as a nation. And I don't need to tell you or go through the list of the issues and the problems that our nation faces. I don't need to go through the list and, and, and talk about the darkness that is in our nation and the, the anti-God stances that are in our nation. It can be disheartening to look around and to see what's happening. Often we feel powerless, don't we? We feel powerless about what's going on around our country because, listen, we're just a small voice in a little town in the middle of rural Indiana. What, does a, what do we have to offer? What can we do to see change come to our nation? And we may feel small and we may feel weak, but you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a man named John who had no influence, who had no authority, who didn't live in a palace, who didn't live or sit on a throne, but lived in a wilderness. And all he was was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly the kind of people that God uses to change the world. So we may be looking around 
today as we celebrate 4th of July. It's a reminder of our independence, but it's also a reminder of the needs that our country faces. I want to remind you today that you are not powerless. You are not powerless to what's happening in our nation. You have a voice and it doesn't take any special credentials. It doesn't take any special authority granted to you by man to make a difference. All you have to be is a man or a woman sent by God. All you have to do is be a man or a woman sent by God, a man who seeks after his face, who worships him, who honors him and gives him first place in every area of your life. It is those kinds of people that God uses to change the world. Very little, very few times throughout scripture do you see God use kings and rulers to speak into the nation. And when he does do it, it's because it's somebody like David who is a man after God's own heart. See, God doesn't look to the palaces or to the White House or to the Congress or to places of government to enact his will into the earth. He looks to men and women who are after his heart. Those who are in the wilderness, who are willing to be a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Men and women just like you and just like me. Amen. There was also something special about John. John was a man who knew who he was. If you have your Bibles, flip now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It's right after Luke, right before Acts, right before verse 2 in John. John chapter 1, starting in verse 21, it says that, that John was, was preaching, and it says in verse, uh, let's start in verse 19, actually. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. Then they asked him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And this is what John's reply was. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, make straight the way of the Lord. They came and they asked him, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? The prophet was another, another term for Messiah. Are you the prophet? Nope, not the prophet. Well, then who are you? I know exactly who I am. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Here's what I wanna to say to you today. If you do not know who you are, you will not be able to walk confidently in the power that God has given you. Your voice can make a difference. Your voice does make a difference. You are one sent by God, but unless you know who you are, you will not be able to walk confidently in the power that God has given you. 
you will not be able to walk confidently in the power that God has given you. You will instead allow others to identify you. They did this to Jesus too, right? When he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. If you're not careful, if you don't know who you are, you will allow others to identify you and not just others, you will allow your failures to identify who you are. If you don't know who you are, you'll allow all these outside voices and even the inner voice to, to identify who you are. And if you are lost in that confusion, you will be a double-minded man, unstable in all of your ways. And even though you have the opportunity to make a difference in this nation and in this county and in the places around you, you have the opportunity to do so. You will not be able to because you will be too busy trying to figure out who you are. Because if you're not confident in who you are, you will be unable to operate in the power of who you are. So in order to make a difference, you have to know two things. One, God is not, does not go to places of power and halls of authority to bring his word into the land. He goes to men and women who seek his face. But also you need to know who you are in order to use that authority and that power that God has given you. So my question for you this morning is this. Who are you? Who are you? Are you just another pew sitter waiting to get to heaven? Are you a man or woman maybe drowning in your own sin, unable to get out of it? Are you a small town farmer, a salesman, a pastor, a mom, a dad, a grandparent? Are you a Republican, a Democrat? What do you go by? You may be some of those things, but that's not who you are. Who are you? Who are you? Let me tell you exactly who you are. Many of you know because you've heard me preach before. You are a son of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. According to Ephesians, you sit in heavenly places, enthroned with Jesus above principalities, powers, mights, and dominion. You have authority to cast out demons, to lay your hands on the sick, and to see them recover. Your faith can throw mountains into the sea. You are loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. You are kings and you are priests, not by your own might, but through his. That is who you are. That is who you are. And if you are not confident in that fact of who you are, you will not be able to operate in the power of who you are. So the world is waiting. The world is waiting for you to become confident of who you are. It's easy to look at the news. It's easy to look at the circumstances around us and complain and grumble. But listen, you have the authority to change it. You just have to become confident in who you are. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to close with this this morning. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18, it says, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled 
within us. Look at that scripture. I am convinced that any suffering we endure, any suffering our nation endures, any suffering we endure as believers is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. What does it say? Where's the glory going to be unveiled? Within us, the sons and daughters of God. Then listen to this. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. Everything that you see around you, all the darkness, all the confusion, all the the gender confusion, all the the political issues and drama, all the the pain that's going on in the world and the nations, the wars, all of that, what's it a consequence of? Human sin. The world has has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequence of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. The world may not know it, They know that there's a hunger on the inside of them. They just don't know what they're hungry for. But they're standing on tiptoe waiting for you and I to become confident in who we are. They're waiting for you and I to be unveiled as the sons of God, that the glory of God would be unearthed on the inside of us and presented to the world around us. The world is waiting for you and I to be convinced of who we are. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. I believe much of the pain that we see in the world around us now is this. It's creation groaning. It's creation longing. It's creation that's been for thousands and thousands of years aching because of the futility of human sin. And they're lost and they're confused and they're being beat up by principalities and powers and mights and dominions around us. And they're looking for something real and they're waiting for you and I to become confident in who we are, to be the voices crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The nation is hungry. They don't know what for yet. But when they see the sons of God rise up, they will know exactly what they're hungry for. The answer to our nation's problems and issues is not the right president. It's not the right men and women in Congress. The answer to our nation's problems is sons and daughters of God becoming confident in who they are and stepping into their place of authority. 
Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't be awesome to have the right president. And it wouldn't be awesome to have the right Congress and those things. But listen, even if we got that but didn't have sons and daughters coming into the confidence of who we are, guess what? Our nation's still going to be torn apart. It needs sons and daughters of God to be manifested. The earth is groaning, groaning for you to step into who you are, into the confidence of who you are. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. To close, I just want to do this. I want to remind you once again of who you are. You are sons and daughters of God. Listen, that's, that's not figurative language, right? That's not jargon. It's not just some Christian lingo that we throw around. You are literally sons and daughters of God. I think it's in 1 John, the word that is used is genos, which means we carry the same DNA as God. You are sons and daughters of God. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not a sinner. You are not defined by your mistakes and your failures and the empty futility of human sin. That is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are holy and perfect and without blemish in his sight. According to Ephesians, you sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominion. That is your place of authority, your position, and where you sit. You have the authority from Jesus himself to cast out demons, to lay your hands on the sick and see them recover. The Bible says that your faith can throw mountains into seas. Not only that, this, I believe, is the most important attribute about who you are. You are loved with the same love that the Father has for his Son, Jesus. That alone should give us all the confidence in the world. You are kings and priests, not by your own might, but through his. Now, I know there's many of you in this room who pray, some of you even daily for our nation. I want to challenge you today. Don't come into that prayer room for our nation. Don't come into it with the, I, let me say it this way. Don't, don't stone me if I say it this way. Don't come into it as a patriot. Go into that prayer closet as a son and daughter. Don't go into that prayer closet praying for our nation as an American. Go in as one who is seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, who has the authority to speak into the land and see things change. That's who you are. Let me pray. Jesus, hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this incredible land that we live in this nation that you have given us to steward and to, to raise our families in. Father, you know the brokenness that we see across the land. 
You know the trials and the confusion and the pain that is in our nation. Father, I pray today as a son of God, I pray that you would come and reveal yourself to these people, to this nation. God, that the brokenness in our nation would be healed in the name of Jesus. God, that those who are confused with their gender, those that are, that are confused with, with, uh, with, with whether they're male or female, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come in and that you would just take away all confusion. Lord, your word says that you are not the God of confusion. So, Father, I pray that you would come in this, uh, this day even, Father, and bring clarity into their minds. Lord, that they would see who they are in you, that they are the image of God himself, that they were created in your very image, that they carry your DNA, and that is who they are. Father, I pray for our leaders, Lord, that are in the White House and that are in our Congress, that are sitting on Supreme Court. God, that you would give them supernatural wisdom. God, wisdom beyond their own ability, wisdom beyond their own human capabilities, Jesus. God, that it would be supernatural, that you would lead them. Father, that they would have an encounter with you, Jesus. Father, that, that our president would have an encounter with you, that our vice president would have an encounter with you, that you would surround them with counselors who are not just wise in the world's eyes, but that are, that are, that are men and women who know you and who seek your face, Father. Surround them with people of influence, not worldly influence, but kingdom influence to speak into their, into their minds, into their lives. God, we pray your blessing would remain on the United States of America. And Father, that this nation that was born under God, this nation that was born through men and women who, who were believers and who sought your face, that this nation would become a people and a nation again who seeks your face. That we would be called Jacob, the generation who seeks you who seeks your face. God, we honor you today. We thank you, Jesus, for calling us sons and daughters. Father, I pray you would give us the confidence to step into who we are fully. God, we thank you. We honor you in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.